Well, here we are again. Abu is off on an adventure, so ready for another exciting episode of Ira Harmon's Pop Machine. This is the Christmas special. Lucky you! A pop machine is radioactive every Monday on WHPK 88.5 FM here in Chicagoland. This is an important message from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Belt conveyors can be dangerous to miners working on or around them. Remember, always install proper guarding to prevent contact between miners and moving conveyor parts. Before working on a conveyor, disconnect the power and follow lockout-tagout procedures. These simple steps can make a difference in keeping miners safe. Take time, save lives. For more resources, visit MSHA.gov. Life is like a roller coaster. It has its high and low moments, zooming through our lives. Sometimes we feel excited and full of joy, and other times we feel numb to the world around us. Low moments are a part of life. They help us cherish the good times. That's why it's important to reach out when life's lows stop us in our tracks. Connect with someone now. Call 211 or call text 988. Wanda, you forgot to introduce yourself. The listener should know who they're listening to, don't you think? Maybe. I don't believe they care who I am. They know I'm not a boob and bad by the sound of my voice, but they don't care who Magic Wanda is. Maybe I should put a spell on them and become famous. Like one of those internet influencers or something. Maybe I'll do that after I get myself healthy and get back control of my magic. Have you heard from Abu since he left to find the crystal of occlusion? He left a message on my crystal ball this morning. Do you want to hear it? Of course I do. Let's hear it. Okay then. Let us have a listen. When he comes back and finds out that I've killed everyone in a magic explosion, he's going to reduce me to my basic atoms. He hasn't reduced anyone to their basic atoms in eons. The last guy he was going to disrupt was Nicky. You remember Nicky, don't you? Of course I remember Nicky. We used to debauch together back in the Dark Ages. Oh, he was such a wonderful imp and a troublemaker like no other. Poor Nicky was a mess. Abu made him do penance instead of reducing him to his basic atoms. Now look at Nicky. Once a year, 
He flies all around the world giving toys to children. This is his day. It's Christmas Day. Jolly old St. Mickey's hustle has kept him well. It certainly has. He's more popular than the Beatles. He's more popular than Beyonce or Taylor Swift. He's one hell of a brand. Santa Claus is a runaway hit. Golly!
baby, it's cold outside. Got to go But away. baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you drop so in. Nice. I'll hold your hands, they're just like My ice. My mother will start to. Beautiful, worry. what's your My father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace so roar. Really Beautiful, please don't well, hurry. Put some records on while I pour. Baby, it's bad out there. Say what's in this No dream? cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew your eyes are like starlight now. I'll take your hat. Your hair looks wild. No, no, Mind if I move in close. What's the sense of hurting my pride? Really oh, baby, don't hold out. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. The answer is no. Baby, it's cold outside. The welcome is How lucky that you dropped in. Look out the window at the stone. Gosh, your lips look delicious. Waves upon the tropical shore. Gosh, your lips are delicious. Never such a blizzard before. But baby, you'd freeze out there. Say, lend me a coat. It's up to your knees out there. You've really been great. I thrill when you touch my hair. How can you do this thing to me?
in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, Stink, stank, stunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. 
Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch, with a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked jerky jockey and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. It's the best time of the year 
don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Ho, ho, the mistletoe Hung where you can see Somebody waits for you Kiss her once for me Have a holly jolly Christmas And in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year Have a holly jolly Christmas It's the best time of the year Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Oh, oh, the mistletoe hung where you can see Somebody waits for you, kiss her once for me Have a holly jolly Christmas, and in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year
baby Just slip a sable under the tree for me Been an awful good girl, Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good if you check off my Christmas list Santa baby I want a yacht and really that's not a lot been an angel all year Santa baby so hurry down the chimney tonight Santa honey One little thing I really need The deed To a platinum mine Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa cutie And fill my stocking with a duplex And checks Sign your ex on the line, Santa cutie, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Come and trim my Christmas tree with some decorations bought at Tiffany. I really do believe in you. Believe in me Santa baby Forgot to mention One little thing A ring I don't mean on the phone Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Hurry down the chimney tonight Tonight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on Our troubles will be out of sight 
Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on our troubles will be miles away In olden days, happy golden days of yours. Faithful friends who are dear to us gather near to us once more through the years. We all will be together If the fates allow Hang a shining star Upon the highest bough And have yourself a merry little Christmas now Faithful friends who are dear to us Gather near to us once more Through the years we all will be together If the fates allow So hang a shining star above the highest A merry little Christmas
presents and cards are here My world is filled with cheer and you This Christmas and as I look around Your eyes outshine the town they do This Christmas the fireside's blazing bright We're caroling through the night
Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight they know that Santa's on his way 
He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to From one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To
feliz Navidad, próspero año y felicidad. Feliz Navidad, feliz Navidad, feliz Navidad, próspero año y felicidad. Holidays, everyone. This is Magic Wonder Speaking, the substitute genie. You are listening to Ira Harmon's Pop Machine on WHPK 88.5 FM radio here in Chicago. We asked seniors how to prevent Medicare scams. My best advice if you get a phone call, do not talk to the person. These people are well trained. Don't talk to them. They don't know me. They're just trying to scam me. Don't be fooled. Hang up. Just hang up. Never give out your Medicare number. They're going to get your number to put in a false claim. If I get a call from someone, I don't pick up the phone. And should I pick up the phone and ask for information, then I hang up. How do you detect Medicare fraud? Just like I check my credit card statements, I check my Medicare statements monthly. Scammers can get a hold of your number, order medical devices through your account, and you're not even going to know about it if you don't look at your statement. Check your statement every month. If you get your statement and you see something that you know you did not have done, you report it. 
call your Senior Medicare Patrol. To report Medicare fraud, call the Senior Medicare Patrol at 800-699-9043. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. This is Magic Wonder speaking. As if you couldn't tell, don't let an evil spell stop you from listening to The Pop Machine. Just go to thepopmachine.net and there you will find Ira and Abu with all The Pop Machine shows past and present with a few surprises. Remember, thepopmachine.net will get you through times of no radio better than the radio will get you through times of no pop machine. Think about it. She was like 98, my grandmother, who's senile. Seriously, we have conversations, she say, Ah, oh, you know, man, well, what time is it, baby? What time is it? Wait, young, young, what time is it? Um, it's 8.15, Grandma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, them little kids out there playing doodle. What's it? I, I love you. You said, what time is it, son? <laughs> you buy your grandmother a sweater, too. Yeah, you buy your grandmother a sweater for Christmas, right? That's a grandmother present. A sweater. Because they always cold. They always be bitching about the cold. It's cold in here. Why is it so cold in here? It's so cold in here. We just turned the heat up, Grandma. Good. What time is it? <laughs> it's freezing, it's freezing, and I don't know what time it is. I don't know what time it is, and I'm cold. Make me a cup of tea. Take me a cup of tea, make me a cup of tea. Put some lemon in it. You want some sugar in it? No, no, no sugar. Just lemon. Baby, Huh? what time is it? <laughs> And we used to give them sweaters for Christmas. He used to give Christmas, that's the day where fathers should like just freak out. Because my father used to buy me like big expensive gifts like that. And fathers get cheap gifts like Old Spice. <laughs> that's a father gift, you know. He's like, hey, pop, buy him some Old Spice. Because you see the commercial, the guy go, Wow, I'll buy that for my father, man. <laughs> for Christmas. Or high karate and some cheap gifts like that. Or Brute by Fabergé. They say by Fabergé like that's supposed to be impressive. Brute by Fabergé. Like a cheap ass cologne. That's the kind of buy your father. Brute and drawers and socks. 
and your father go out and buy you like racetracks and taiko train sets because you make a list you know you say i want this and i want gi joe with the kung fu grip and i want afs racing track your father go out and buy all that stuff and be under the tree and you come down and rip all the stuff open and it'd be toys and stuff on the floor, everything scattered all over the place and your father come downstairs, you say, here you daddy. It's just one box, every kid in the house's name is on the car. <laughs> he says, hey, thanks a lot. Hey, open it up and say, Brute by Fabergé. Thank you. Cheap motherfucker. <laughs> they gotta smile when they get that stuff, man. I can't. My my father just did so good and whatnot. I mean, but he put the brute in his room. That's where they put all the cologne. They put it in their top drawer and just sit it in there and it just keep piling up every Christmas. And then you go steal a cologne when you're like 16 and going on your first date and start dousing your body in. He said, hey, I'm on one day, my first date. <laughs> <laughs> then you find out how bad it burns when you put cologne on your private parts, right? in the sink, I tried to put it in the sink, it was going, Woo! And my mother walked in the bathroom and said, you lazy nigga. You're too lazy to take a shower and wash your dick in the sink. And I don't know about white parents, but black parents get on the phone and tell their relatives about stuff like this. Which is bad, they get on the phone and say, do you know I caught the boy with his dick in the sink? No, not in the kitchen, the bathroom sink. Yes. Relatives be coming over, hey, how you doing, Ed? You the one that is dick in the sink, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard about it. No, you ain't gotta give me five, just back home. <laughs> yeah, your grandmother wanted to know why. Boy, what? Why you would... Man told me that you had your dick in the sink. <laughs> well, why you put it in there? something wrong with you? What's wrong? Why, baby, why you put your dick in the sink? That the new thing now? Running around sniffing cocaine, wearing short dress, put your dick in the sink? Baby, baby, that's nasty. You nasty, baby. From Hollywood, the NBC Theater presents... Screen Director's Assignment, Production, It's a Wonderful Life, Director, Frank Capra, Star, Jimmy Stewart. The Hollywood screen directors present a flight of fancy into time that never was. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, and introducing the director of the film, Frank Capra.
motion picture audience, there can be only one measure of a truly great director. His name, by itself, must be a badge of excellence upon the screen. Such is the name of our guest screen director tonight, for it has become a synonym for unforgettable motion picture entertainment. The NBC Theater is proud to present the distinguished director of such brilliant films as It Happened One Night, Lost Horizon, You Can't Take It With You, and tonight's story, It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Frank Capra. Thank you. The story of It's a Wonderful Life became a motion picture by a rather roundabout way. It started out as a simple message of goodwill, a brief fantasy printed on Christmas cards to be exchanged between friends. It was a fine story, warm and human and and exciting in a very unusual way. We felt that it had something, something that perhaps could be shared by everyone. That's why we made the picture. And now tonight we hope to share it with you again as a radio play. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart in his original role of George Bailey. Your Supreme Excellency, I, Clarence Oddbody... Angel of the second class, to make application for promotion to angel of the first class for services as follows. On Christmas Eve of 1948, one George Bailey of Bedford Falls was on the point of committing suicide, an act abhorrent both to his maker and to the Hemisphere Federation Mutual Life Insurance Company. Feeling in exceedingly woe spirits, George Bailey did go, proceed, and travel to the high-level bridge where he mounted the rail. Before George Bailey could weep into the icy current, I, Clarence Oddbody, did hurl, project, and fling myself past the great Magellanic cloud through the constellation Lyra into the Earth's atmosphere and the Bedford River, executing, if I do say so myself, a perfect swan dive. I can't swim. Help! Relax. Now, don't struggle. Help! I'm coming in after you. Help! Here I come. It's a good thing this old toll house on the bridge was unlocked. Yeah. Well, we can both dry off in here without freezing. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you happen to fall into the river? I didn't fall in. Huh? Well, I knew if you thought I was drowning, you'd jump in to save me. So I jumped in. You jumped in? To save you. You see, you didn't go through with it. Go through with what? Suicide. How'd you know I was going to co- hey. hey. Who are you? I'm an angel. A what? An angel. Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oh. AS2. What's the AS2? Angel Second Quest. Oh, I see. <laughs> what are you, crazy? Well, I'll confess I've been rather distracted for the past few centuries due to my failure to acquire my first-class wings. But crazy? Uh-uh. If I do a good job on you, I'll get my wings. Brother, you haven't even got your buttons. <laughs> why don't you tell me your troubles? Oh, you're balmy, that's why. Well, then humor me. Do you good to talk. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's about all I have left in life. Let's talk about it. Well, talk. Oh, I was going to knock them dead, I was. I was going to shake the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I was going to see the world, build things, do things, travel the Taj Mahal and Silken Samarkand and the moon pools of the east and Everest and the deep Aegean. Yeah, pipe dreams. Why? Well, my deaf ear, for one thing. Oh, that was when Howie, your kid brother, fell through the ice back in 1919. I jumped in to save him. I... Hey, how'd you know that? I wed it in the Gabriel Daily Trumpet. <laughs> well, anyway, I got an ear infection. It was weeks before I could go back running errands at the Gower Drugstore. So what does Gower do? He hits me in my bad ear. Why? Well, he just heard about his son. He died in college from typhoid. Gower had been drinking. I wouldn't deliver some medicine for Mrs. Blaine's little girl because the bottle he took it out of was marked poison. Dear, dear. Well, Doc Gower smacked my bad ear, and I guess I cried. But I finally made him understand his mistake. Um, was Doc Gower grateful? Well, he cried. Ah, Eleven years later, he bought me a fine set of pigskin luggage to take on my world trip. Oh, then you did go away. There was a girl in town named Mary. We'd grown up together, and she was engaged to Sam Wainwright. I had an hour or so before train time, and I stopped over at Mary's house. Well, George, just think. After all these years, and... All your planning and saving and wishing. You're going to realize your great ambition. This is the most exciting day of my life, Mary. I'll... We'll... We'll miss you terribly in Bedford Falls. Well, I'll only be away a year. You'll write, won't you? I'll send you a golden apple from the Garden of the East for your wedding present. Thanks. I'll make golden apple sauce out of it. What's the matter? Would I say something wrong? Hey... Hey, hey, the doorbell's ringing. I know the doorbell's ringing. Don't you sneak away, George Bailey. I want to talk to you. Mary, I'm looking for George. Uncle Billy, what brings you over here to Mary's? <laughs> George, your father's just had a bad stroke. Oh, no. Dad, what is he? Is no, but I don't think you'd better start on your trip, George. Not just now, anyhow. Well, go on, George. Well, Dad was gone that same night. I'd gave old man Potter his chance. Old man Potter? Yeah, richest man in town, a banker, a big stockholder in our loan company. We'd always fought Potter on a lot of issues, and now he wanted the loan company to dissolve so he could rule the roost in Bedford Falls. Potter and I headed out a week after Father died, right in the boardroom alone. <laughs> Just a minute there, Potter. Now, just hold on here just a minute. I admit that in the 25 years since Father and Uncle Billy here started this loan company, we didn't make any money. I admit that. But who gave the low-income people in this town decent homes to live in, huh? You did? Yes, Mr. Potter, we did. Who built Bailey Park of model dwellings where you wanted to put poor cemetery? 
You did. That's right, we did. We gave this town those things. We gave Bedford Falls and its That's citizens... That's the trouble with you, Baileys. You gave everything. No wonder you never made any money. What's galling you, Potter? Is Mr. You... Potter to you, oh, Bailey. My nephew is Mr. Bailey to you, Potter. Your nephew's wet behind the ears, you mindless fool. Oh, say that again. Say that again. Just keep out of this, Uncle Billy. I'll handle Potter. Mr. Potter to Stripley. What's eating you is that you can't gain control of this loan company, Mr. Potter. Hmm. It's up to this board to decide what to do about the company now that father's gone, but if I can do anything to help keep Bailey Park a reality and to keep Potter from making people crawl to him when they need help, just count me in, gentlemen. Count me in. As a result of that speech, the board voted to continue the loan company. If I'd remain as vice president. Goodbye, twip around the world, huh? Yeah. yeah. At least until brother Harry came home from college to take over for me. Only Harry came home with a wife. Well, that's co-education for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but did his wife's father have to give Harry a big job out of town? Oh, I see. Leaving you holding the bag with the loan company. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what... What's that music? That's a church hymn. Old Hundred. Seems to me Mary sang it that day long ago. Remember? In the church choir. After church, you walked Mary home. Remember, George? Remember? Come in for a minute, George. Well, just for a minute. Here, Mary. let me take your hat and coat. Mary! Who sat down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? Well, I don't know. What do you want, George? Me? Uh, well, not a thing. I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. Well, tell him to stop. It's Sunday. <laughs> hey, hey, now, look here, Mary. I didn't come here to... to what did to, you come here for? Well, I, I just walked you home, that's all. <laughs> Lots of girls ogling you at church. Why pick on me? Well, now, listen, Mary. I, Why I, don't you go home? Well, I will. Thanks. Where's my hat? You got it on. Thanks. You're entirely welcome. Goodbye. Deaf in one ear and blind in both eyes. That's you, George Bailey. Now what's the matter? You ought to see a specialist. You can't even tell when a girl... When the girl you've walked to school with all your life... Oh, go see a big eye, ear, nose, and throat man. Why, Mary. Hey. Hey, Mary. Hey, let's go and see a specialist together. Reverend McAllister, big hymn, sermon, and wedding ceremony man, huh? And so you were married, huh, George? Yeah, I had about $2,000 saved, and it looked like... Well, it looked like a fine chance to combine that world trip with a honeymoon. But? A little thing called the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a run on the loan company started by some false rumors of potters. The last minute, Mary threw in the $2,000. It was just enough to reassure our investors and we didn't have to close up. And you didn't have a honeymoon either. No, no. No, but Potter was licked again. So when he called me into his office one day, I was just about the most surprised man at Bedford Falls. Uh, 
want to tell you, George, my lad, that during the Depression, you and I have been about the only ones kept our heads in this town. Thanks, Mr. Potter. Yeah, all that talent, and where does it get you? 28 and 29, married, <laughs> and making $40 a week. 45 Yeah, and you're the smartest young fellow in town. All right, all right. Now, what's your point, Mr. Potter? I want to hire you. You, you want to hire me? Manage my affairs, run my properties. 20000 a year. Dollars? And two months vacation with pay before you start work. <laughs> Take yourself a little jaunt around the world first, eh? Oh, Everest, the Vale of Kashmir, and the moon pools of the east, and the deep Aegean, and the whispering aurora. Well, George? Well, but what about the loan company? What about it? We'll dissolve it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want your dirty job. What? You sit here and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't. You're out of your mind. I won't let you buy me away from the people who depend on me. Robbie. And I've made my decision, Potter. And may it stick in your craw to regret as long as you live, George Bailey. May it stick in your fool craw. You are listening to the Hollywood Screen Director's presentation of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart with Arthur Q. Bryan as the angel and introducing the director of the film, Frank Capra. George. After your marriage to Mary Chase and your very spunky rejection of Potter's offer to manage his affairs, what happened? How'd it go? Oh, I stuck it out a few more years with the loan company, then the war. Doc Gower and Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And Harry, oh, my kid brother Harry, shot down two Jap suicide planes just as they were about to crash on a transport full of U.S. troops. Well, what about you? Oh, it's 4F. The bad ear? Well, it just wasn't in the books for me to get out of Bedford Falls, that's all. Well, it brings us to tonight, Christmas Eve. What made you want to jump off the bridge into the river? I can give it to you the fast. The bank examiner came to check our books, and we were $8,000 short. Next question. Where did the $8,000 go? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't be here on the bridge, would I? No, no. All I know is that I sent Uncle Billy to deposit $8,000 to our account over at Potter's Bank. Uncle Billy talked to Potter for a while in Potter's office, and then he went over to the teller's window to deposit the money, only it was gone. Well, where? How do I know where? I was almost insane. I questioned Uncle Billy half the night trying to locate that missing $8,000, but it was no use. Please, George, please don't ask me any more questions. I can't think anymore. You've got to think anymore, you stupid, fumbling fool. I've got to have that money. Do you realize what this means to us? It means bankruptcy and scandal and shame and prison. Now, one of us is going to jail for this, but it's not going to be me. I've had enough of being the fall guy for this crummy little town. You can just deal me out of this one. I've given up my years and my ambitions for the people of this town, and all I've got is frustration and disappointment. 
And I've had just about as much as I can swallow. It's sticking in my craw. Just like Potter said it was. Well, maybe Potter would lend you $8,000. Potter? Maybe? Potter? Well, yeah, well, it's our only chance. <laughs> What about all your fine friends you've done so much for, George? Why don't they lend you the money, hmm? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. Now, please help me. Yeah. Well, what kind of security do you have? Any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? No, sir. Real estate collateral of any kind? Well, I've got a $15,000 life insurance policy. What's its loan value? $500. $500. Look at you. You were going out and licked the world once. What are you now? You're a miserable clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. $500. You're worth more dead than alive. Oh, that's very true. Uh, so you want me to help you, eh? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Arrest? Misappropriation of funds. Arrest, but Mr. Potter... Merry Christmas, George. And so, because you were worth $500 a wife and $15,000 dead... You thought killing yourself would make everybody happier? Yeah, better still, I should never have been born. What's that? What's that you said? I said I wish I'd never been born. That's what I thought you said. George, they've granted your wish. And maybe I've got the scheme to win me my wings. Angel first class. What wish? George... You've never been born. Oh, stop it, will you? You're talking like an idiot. Am I, George? Let's see. Excuse me, man. Got a match? Who are you? Come in, Doc. Come in. Got a match, anybody? Hey. Hey, you, you're Doc Gower, the druggist. I was Doc Gower, the druggist. Until I poisoned a little girl by mistake. Oh, no, now, wait a minute, Doc. Been drunk ever since. Now, Doc, don't you remember? I discovered your mistake, and I warned you just in time. Do... Oh, you. Well, don't you remember me? I'm little George Bailey. I ran errands for you. Uh, nobody named George Bailey ever worked for me. Match? Here you are, Mr. Gower. Hmm. Now, all I need is a cigar. Here you are, Mr. Gower. Reply. God rest you, merry gentlemen. I love you as much. Wait, Doc. Let him go, George. Let him go. That... That broken old derelict, Doc Gower. Well, you weren't born, George. So you couldn't prevent that broken old derelict. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, I... Hey, I'm going home. Home? What home? You never lived. Oh, shut up. Now, cut it out. You're crazy. Let's see if I am. We'll go to your home. Ride the bleak wind, George Bailey. Let's see where you live. Let's see. 
But I tell you, this boarding house can't be my mother's house. Knock again. Oh, this broken-down old shack, my mother's house? Knock again, George Bailey. All right, but I... There's no vacancy. Mother. What are you talking about? Mother, mother, please help me. There's something terrible that's happened to me. I don't, just keep me here until I get over it, please. I never saw you before in my life. Don't take in strangers unless somebody I know sent them. Uncle Billy sent me your brother. You knew him. Well, of course I know him. I, I saw him just today. That's a lie. He died in the insane asylum after old man Potter took over the loan company. Why do you lie to me? Mother, mother, please. Good night. Mother. Come on, George. We've other places to go. Why are we in the public library on Christmas Eve? Some people work late if they're won't we and have no Christmas to go home to. Like that pinched-looking woman at that desk there. Mary... Yes? Mary. The library's closed, you know. Mary, you're my wife. You must be quite out of your senses. Now, look at me. Look at me, Mary. I'm George. I'm your husband. We're married. I never married. Man I'd marry never was born, if you must know. I hate them. Mary, now look at me. I'm George Bailey. You're Mrs. George Bailey. I'll call the police. Mary, you must listen to me. Hello. Hello. Mary, listen to me. Give me the police and hurry. Very dark on this road. Yes. And cold. Stop here. Where are we? Potter's Field. You mean Bailey Park? I mean the poor cemetery. You mean my low-cost home development? Look where you stand. Gravestones. Here dwell in final squalor and humility the nameless, the vagrant, the very poor, the disinherited. You put them here. I tell you, no, I built Bailey Park on this ground. Read that tilting gravestone at your feet. Read. In memory of our beloved son, Harry Bailey, 1911-1919. This isn't true. Harry's alive today. He went to war. He shot down two planes that saved the lives of every man on that transport. Your brother Harry broke through the ice at the age of nine. It's a lie. He saved the life of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. No. You killed those men on that troop no. ship. You wished it so. I didn't. You. Please. You. No. Yes. Harry wasn't there to save those men because you weren't there to save Harry. You wished it so. Yes. Forgive me, Clarence. You see, George, you'd have lived a pretty wonderful life if you'd only been born a strong and useful life. I know now. I know that no man is an island unto himself. I know now that our lives are woven inseparably one to another. I know that life bestowed by the Almighty is for no man to reject. Then my work is done. Wait, Clarence. Help me. 
Help me get back. I want to live again. I'm glad I was born. I want to live again. When you hear the musical chimes, I will have won my wings. Guardian angel, first class. Send me back, Clarence. Send me back to life again. Live, George Bailey. Send me back. Live. Thank you, God. Live. Thank you. Live. George! Live. George! Uh, what? Oh, Mary. Oh, George, darling. Mary, how'd you know I was here? Oh, I was so afraid for you. I, I thought of the bridge, too. I'm sorry, Mary. Oh, please come Live. home. We've been looking for you. Looking for who? The whole town. Everyone in Bedford Falls that you ever helped. And that's everybody. I know, but there's $8,000 missing from the loan company. They know that. And they've taken up a collection to help you for all you've done for them. There's more than $8,000 under the Christmas tree. No. Cash, money, orders, and checks. No. Yes. Well, hallelujah. Merry Christmas, George. Hey. Hey, Mary. Hey, listen. I didn't hear anything. When... When you hear the musical chimes... What chimes? boy, Clarence. boy. Guests will return in just a moment. Next week, the NBC Theater brings you another outstanding motion picture story to the microphone as we present the romantic drama Hold Back the Dawn, and our star will be Charles Boyer. And now, here again is tonight's star, Jimmy Stewart, and screen director, Frank Capra. Say, uh, Frank, do you mind if I ask you a professional question? Not at all, Jimmy. Uh, how do you how do you turn out so many wonderful pictures? What's what's the secret anyway? You really want to know? Yeah, I really do. Clarence. Huh? Clarence, the angel. What do you <laughs> Well, you mean the character in the story? Oh, sure. He's been around for years. Stands behind my right shoulder and tells me what to do when I'm in trouble. He practically directs all my pictures. Uh-huh. Uh, Clarence, huh? On a movie set. Yeah, well, it was a little difficult at first. Yeah, I can imagine. He didn't have a screen director's guild card. Oh. <laughs> well, tell me, Frank, uh, if Clarence was so smart, how come we had to shoot the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life five times? Oh, that. Uh, well, you see, Jimmy, yeah. that... Uh... Hey, Kappa, better quit while you're even. Say goodnight. Let's get out of here. Okay, Clarence. <laughs> see how he keeps me out of trouble? Good night, everyone. Good night, folks. And good night to you, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Kappa. It's a Wonderful Life is presented to the courtesy of Paramount Pictures. The National Broadcasting Company presents transcribed Sir Lawrence Olivier as your narrator and in the role of Scrooge in Charles Dickens' immortal story, A Christmas Carol. Over a hundred years ago, in December 1843, Charles Dickens wrote this story. 
Since then, each year, countless millions have listened to or read what has become the world's most famous Christmas tale. The London from which I speak to you today differs in many ways, but in many other ways is much the same as the town Charles Dickens wrote about and loved so well. It still has its rain and fog, its sudden sharp spells of bright, frosty weather, its warm, lovable people, and above all, its spirit. That spirit immortalized forever as a Dickens Christmas. Listen then in a moment to his tale, A Christmas Carol. whatever about that. The register of his burial had been signed by Scrooge himself, and his name was good for anything that he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. But first let me tell you about Scrooge himself. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand of the grindstones he was. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, and stiffened his gait. He iced the office of his counting house in the hot days, and he certainly didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Don't be angry, Uncle. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Come and dine with now, me. I'll see you far enough. Good afternoon. But why not? We've never had any quarrel, to which I've been a party. Good afternoon. Well, you'll be very welcome. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Ah, good afternoon. Neat Scrooge's nephew found his Christmas greetings cordially returned by Scrooge's clerk, Bob Cratchit. Even though he was freezing to death in his unheated corner of the office and earned only 15 shillings a week. In showing the young man out, however, Bob Cratchit let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen and greeted Scrooge in a friendly way. This festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, we like to make some provision for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Are there no prisons? Oh, plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? Oh, yes, indeed. But many can't go there. And many would rather die. If they'd rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Oh, good afternoon. Oh. <laughs> was the way that Scrooge felt on Christmas Eve. At length, the hour of shutting up his counting house arrived. With an ill will, he dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted the fact to his clerk, Bob Cratchit. You want the day off tomorrow, I suppose. If uh, quite convenient, It's uh... not convenient, and it is not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, it's only once a year, sir. Bah! I'm bad. Scrooge went off to his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers, went home to his bed. His house was old and dreary, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. As he opened the door, he suddenly started, for the door knocker seemed to leer at him through the fog, 
and the face of the knocker had changed to the face of his one-time partner, Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley had been dead as a doornail for seven years. Scrooge hurried up to his room and locked the door behind him. Gracious me, what's that? All the bells ringing this time of night? The clanking of heavy chains up the stairs, along the passage to the locked door of his room. A ghostly figure suddenly appearing through the door and standing there in front of him. No need to ask who it was. It was the ghost of Jacob Marley. Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, clasping a chain about his middle, a chain made up of cash boxes, keys, padlocks and heavy purses wrought in steel. But a Jacob Marley that was transparent. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. You are, you are fettered. What is that chain you bear? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard, and of my own free will I bore it. Would you know the weight and length of the chain you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as this, seven Christmas Eves ago, and you have labored on it ever since. Jacob, speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. Mm. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, Jacob. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Haunted? I think I'd rather not be, Jacob. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first one tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Oh. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more. And look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. Fear and trembling, Scrooge undressed and went to bed. By the time he had fallen asleep, it was past two o'clock in the morning. When he awoke, it was still pitch dark, but he heard the clock of a neighboring church distinctly striking twelve. Twelve? Midnight? Chance about he'd slept the clock round almost twice. It was tomorrow night already, and when the clock chimed the next hour, the first of the three spirits would appear. Scrooge lay there in his bed in the dark and waited. Considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside. And Scrooge, starting up in his bed, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them back. Ah, are you this spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Rise and come with me. A strange figure that led him out into the night, clad in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap. A figure like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man shrunk to the size of a child. It wore a tunic of the purest white and carried a branch of fresh green holly in his hand. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light which was probably why it used in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap which it carried the rest of the time under its arm. 
Why, I, I know this place. I, I was a boy here. And that house there, it's where I went to school. Strange that you have forgotten it for so long. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child is still there, neglected by his friends. Is it? Is it? Is it me? It was you, but listen. Dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home for Christmas. Home? Yes, home for good and all. Home forever and ever. Father's so much kinder than he used to be, but home's like heaven. Last night he said you might come home and send me the coach to bring you, and we're to have the merriest time in all the world. My little sister, she had a large heart. Poor little sister. She died a woman and had children, I believe. One child. True. He's your nephew. Once more, the spirit led him away. Back through the night into the city they had left. It was plain enough by the brightly lit shop windows that it was Christmas time again. They stopped before a warehouse door. That's old Fezziwig's place, where I was apprenticed. And dear old Fezziwig, bless his heart, alive again. Yo ho there, Ebenezer. Dick, no more work tonight. It's Christmas Eve, young Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Hello, clear away, my lads. Hello, Dick. Cheer up, Ebenezer. All was done in a moment. Everything moved out of the way. The floor swept and watered, the lamps trimmed, fuel heaped on the fire, and the warehouse turned into as snug and warm a ballroom as you could desire to see on a winter's night. <laughs> a small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Why isn't it? He's only spent some three or four pounds of your mortal money. Does that deserve such praise? It isn't that spirit. He had the power to make us happy or unhappy, to make our service a pleasure or a toil. Oh, dear. What's the matter? Uh, nothing particular. I, I should just like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, Bob Cratchit. There is. Remove me from this place. These are the shadows of things that have been. If they are what they are, don't blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. The flame that burned so bright upon the spirit of Christmas past was more than Scrooge could bear. Seizing the large extinguisher that it carried, Scrooge pressed it violently down upon the spirit's head. But though he pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light which streamed in an unbroken flood upon the ground. Suddenly he realized that he was back in his own bedroom. He gave the extinguisher a final squeeze, reeled across to his bed, and sank into a heavy sleep. Awaking in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore, and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge did not need to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he was restored to consciousness in the nick of time for the special purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. But this time he did not wait for the spectre to do it. He drew back the curtains of his bed himself. Being prepared for almost anything, Scrooge was by no means prepared for nothing. He lay there trembling in the dark until he noticed the light which shone beneath the door of his sitting room. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers towards the chimney. 
Come in, my good fellow. I am the ghost of Christmas presents. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. In easy state upon his couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, which shed its light throughout the room. But what a room it has become. The walls hung with mistletoe and holly, a mighty blaze roaring up the chimney, and the floor heaped up with turkeys, geese, great joints of meat, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, and seething bowls of punch. Did it conduct me where you will? I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Then touch the road. mistletoe, turkeys, and plum puddings all vanished instantly, and out into the night they flew over the twinkling lights of the great city. It was a remarkable quality of the ghost that notwithstanding his gigantic size, he could accommodate himself to any place with ease, and that he stood beneath a low roof quite as gracefully as in a lofty hall, which was just as well, for in a moment they were standing there in the dining room of Scrooge's clerk, Bob Cratchit, and his family. Merry Christmas, all! Merry Christmas! Now then, Belinda, take Tiny Tim and Martha and show them what they're going to eat for dinner. If that doesn't make their mouths water, nothing will. (laughs) (laughs) And how did little Tim behave at church, my dear? As good as gold and better. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day, <laughs> who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. The poor little mite, how good he is. Come along, all of you. Dinner's nearly ready, I'll be bound. <laughs> <laughs> A merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Tiny Tim is a cripple and so very pale and sickly. Tell me if he will live. I see a vacant seat in the chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no. Oh, no, kind spirit. Then he will be spared. Why should he be? If he dies, it will decrease the surplus population. Now then... One and all, I give you a toast. Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. Oh, my dear, the children. And it's Christmas Day. Oh, well, for your sake and the days, then. Not for his. A Merry Christmas to him. He'll be very merry, I'll be bound. Oh, that's better, (laughs) my dear. To Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. I never knew that people could be so happy. But, Spirit, you're looking sad and old. Your hair has turned white. It is nearly midnight, when I shall die and become myself no more than a shadow. Who are those unhappy, frightened, cowering children there in rags behind you? Are they yours, Spirit? They are mankind's. Their names are ignorance and what? Beware of them. For they are vicious. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Farewell. The spirit of Christmas present had vanished. 
In its place, there stood the last of Scrooge's three expected visitors, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But unlike the other spirits, this one spoke never a word. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any other spectre I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, lead on. Again the scene had changed, and now Scrooge found himself in the room of death itself. A pale light rising from the outer air fell straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of a man. A filthy old sheet lay over the face, and the phantom motioned to Scrooge to draw it back. Oh, no, I dare not. This is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, believe me, spirit. Let me see some tenderness connected with the death. Please, I beg you, spirit. Poor little tiny thing. You went today again, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is, but you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. Poor tiny Tim, my little, little child. Poor little tiny Tim. If only I'd known, Spectre, something tells me our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, what man was that? whom we saw there lying dead. A gravestone? Before I read the name upon it, Spectre, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they shadows of the things that may be only? You do not answer, only point. I must read the name upon this grave. Ebenezer Scrooge. No, spirit, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I, I'm not the man I was. I, I'll not be the man I must have been but for this intercourse. Why, show me this, if I'm past all hope. Good spirit, assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by unaltered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this tome. And holding up his hands in one last prayer to have his fate reversed, Scrooge saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down to a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. A bright, shining morning, and the bells of the town pealing out there beyond his window. Oh, how long have they been sleeping? What, what day of the month is it? Hey! Well, what's today, my fine young fellow? Day? Why, Christmas Day. <laughs> Christmas Day? 
I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night after all. Uh, uh, hello, then. Hello. Uh, do you know the posters in the next street? Now, of course you do, an intelligent boy. Well, do you know whether they sold the big prize turkey they had there yesterday night? It's hanging there now, mister. It is? Ah, then go and buy it. Here's a shilling. Uh, come back with the man. Half a crown for you if you have that turkey in less than five minutes. Right. Send it to Bob Cratchit, and he shan't know who sent it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Too big for the boy to carry it there? Well, let him take a cab. Half a crown for the cabbie and another shilling for the boy in his trouble. Now, what was the name of the man who came round asking for a subscription? Well, well, I'll soon find out. And a hundred pounds for the poor when I do. No, no, no. Better make it a hundred guineas. Only anonymously. Gracious, look at the time, and I haven't just shaved. I must hurry. I'll be late for that wonderful dinner with nephew Fred and his wife. I'll be around there in the twinkling, and won't they be surprised when I burst in shouting... A Merry Christmas, everyone! And won't Bob Cratchit be surprised tomorrow when I'm waiting for him there at the office and raise his wages on the spot? Oh, goodness, what have I done with my life till now? Was ever such a wonderful time of the year as Christmas? Scrooge had no further need of intercourse with the spirit but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed that knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone! here in the studio joins with me in wishing you a very happy Christmas. And in the words of Tiny Tim himself, God bless us, everyone. So ends another exciting episode of Ira Harmon's Pop Machine. So enjoy today and that weather because you ain't going to see that again. And in the meanwhile, you can keep yourself warm listening to the Pop Machine. Come back next week and we'll do it again right here at WHPK 88.5 FM. The pride of the South Side. And on that note, Scotty, one to beam up.